Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. show tonight. This is Polygamy, What Love Is This? And I'm your host, Doris Hansen. We thank you for joining us and spending part of your Thursday evening with us. And if you've been watching the show long, you know that we're here to talk about polygamy and so many things that surround the practice, both early Mormon and present-day polygamy. As we meet and talk with people from both the LDS Church and from polygamy groups, we find some very interesting reasons why they decided to leave their religion. Some are terribly similar, and of course others can be poles apart. What we find interesting is that very often we discover that polygamy has been a deciding factor and a primary reason why a Mormon will leave the LDS Church, even though polygamy is the foundation of the LDS Church. In any event, tonight's guest is one of those who left the LDS Church, not just because of its history of polygamy, but polygamy was a very troubling doctrine for him, so I invited him to be on our guest, and he's here tonight. He uh, was an active member of the LDS Church for two decades, but he came to see the beauty of simply being a follower of Jesus Christ instead of a church follower. He's a practicing dentist in Southern California, and he's an active member in a local Christian church there. He reaches out to Mormons who are transitioning from mere religion to biblical Christianity so he can help them walk the road that he has already traveled. He has written a book, and it's entitled Starting at the Finish Line, which records his story as he differentiates between the religion of Mormonism to the victory and promised rest in the Jesus of Christianity. I would like to introduce and welcome our special guest tonight, John Wallace. Thank you, John, for coming. Thank you, Doris. Thank you for being here and coming all the way from California. I wouldn't miss it. Well, you've written the book, and, and you know we're going to do some shows in the future about this book. But yeah. tonight we're going to talk about something else. But you let's plug your book just a little <laughs> okay. bit. You know, it discusses the fact that Jesus <clears throat> has done it all. Yeah. Yet the Mormon religion, whether it's polygamy or or LDS, um, they start at the beginning rather than at the finish line, which Jesus did that. So, what? Why did you write your book, and uh, where can our viewers get a copy? Well, for starters, uh, it is available on Amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Also, I have a website. It's starting at finishline.com. You just take the the out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some local bookstores here in Salt Lake City. Uh, Calvary Chapel, um, Salt Lake City mm-hmm. carries it, and also in Southern California. Uh, I wrote the book because ultimately, I, I, you know, for many years, I was a very good Mormon, uh, but I never seemed to be able to get to that point where I could feel at peace. I never felt okay with God because I knew that for all my best efforts, I, I was still a sinner. And, um, you know, the church taught me that I've got to overcome sin. Mm -hmm. God's grace is there to help me overcome sin. I'm thinking, I I don't think I'm doing a very good job of this. Yeah. Uh, What I came to discover, what the Bible teaches, the New Testament is very clear that, as you uh, pointed out, um, Jesus did all the work of my salvation. My job is to receive his gift in faith. Mm -hmm. And so, hence the title of the book, Starting at the Finish Line. True Christianity, in in a really counterintuitive way, is we start at the finish line. Jesus did it all, and we begin our Christian walk 
having received that victory. At the finish line that he has done for us. And of course, we want to mention tonight too that although uh, we, we talk and you talk about uh, Mormonism a lot in this book, the basics and the foundation is the same for anyone in a polygamy group. If you're questioning your faith or questioning your doctrine, it's the same basic foundational doctrine. Very true. The subtitle is The Gospel of Grace for Mormons, but I almost called it The Gospel of Grace for the Legalist. Anybody mm -hmm. that, that attributes or puts value on their works Old of works. righteousness yeah. as part of the salvation formula. And, and I like what you said, puts value on it, because yeah. there's no value in God's eyes. As it turns out. Not, as, far as, going, as far as getting into heaven, there's yeah. no value. That's of course, right. we're there's, supposed to be good people. That's right. We are called to but, good works and to obedience to God, but mm -hmm. that's not part of our salvation. It has nothing to, to do with our eternal life. Exactly that's right. right. So you were born and raised in Mormonism, and your parents were converts. Would you explain that a little bit about the circumstances, why they became Mormons, and how old were you? Yes, and very Briefly, uh, you got to go back to the late 1950s. My mother's parents joined the LDS Church, um, well, after my uncle, my mom's older brother, did. Uh, and my grandmother had been a chain smoker for many, many years. This was very disconcerting to my mother. She was terrified of grandma contracting, you know, lung uh, cancer. Mm -hmm. So, and the Mormons did for grandma what she could never do for herself. She quit smoking cold turkey. Yeah. And they were very devout Mormons. Well, my parents really didn't want anything to do with Mormonism in the 1950s. But when you fast forward about 14 years later, now we're to the fall of 1973, my eldest sister who was 13 at the time came home from school one day with cigarettes in her pocket mm. and it triggered in my mother that uh, sort of knee-jerk reaction and and uh, as she's fond of saying you know we, we, we needed more structure in our household and we can't let those cigarettes make a comeback you see mm -hmm. and so uh, within six weeks you know, we were uh, taking the missionary lessons and, and we became Mormon I asked my parents in preparation for writing the book did you really research the, the truth claims of Mormon? Did you read the Book of Mormon? Did you really study it out? And my mother said, no, not really. We, we, we knew. We knew we were going to join. Hmm. Uh, well, and interestingly, I, I, I loved my uh, upbringing in the Mormon church. I really did. It really kind of kept me on the straight and narrow during mm -hmm. a time when I needed it the, the most. But mm -hmm. um, it was just a matter of time uh, as, as some of the deeper doctrines, which I know we're going to talk about tonight, began to make their way deeper into to my understanding that I realized I don't really believe this. The Mormon religion is very difficult to live when you believe it. Mm -hmm. And it is almost impossible to, to live to when you don't really believe it. Live yeah. and obey the laws and ordinances of yeah. the gospel. That's the hard part because you've very got difficult. to absolutely be totally perfect and there's no perfection in any human being. Yeah. Well, and the New Testament clearly points out that the, perp the very purpose for the law is to show us that we can't do it. That's right. And we need a Savior That's exactly to save us right. from ourselves. Right. Yeah. And right. I'm living proof of Not that. To try. <laughs> Not to try and prove how worthy we can be to it, but to prove how unworthy we are so that we will call out to God for His grace. Boy, you've hit that right in the head. Okay, so now I asked you a question when we first talked about do, you coming on the show and doing that, and that question is, did the polygamy issue affect you as a Mormon? And if so, what impact did it have on your decision to leave the LDS church? Mm -hmm. And your answer was a chronology. What, what you gave me was a chronology, yeah. an evolution of your understanding right. of early Mormon polygamy and how it affected you. You said there are three primary doctrines and practices that you hated to defend mm -hmm. when you were a Mormon uh, to non-LDS inquirers. Mm -hmm. What were those three doctrines that you were often challenged with? Yes, uh, the first was the angelic visitations. Moroni, John the Baptist, Peter, James, and John. Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I, from a very early age, when people would ask me about those things, I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, how, how do I make this sound reasonable? And it never did sound reasonable, <laughs> not even to myself. And I just hated that. And it never resonated with me. It seemed um, highly unlikely. 
Um, secondly was uh, the, the doctrine, uh, and I didn't learn this until about the age of 16 or so, and we'll get to that. God was once a man. Mm -hmm just a regular guy, mm -hmm. presumably, mm -hmm. on another earth somewhere. And by being a really good Mormon, he became God over time. Now, it takes millions of years, probably. Mm -hmm. But, but that the very objective of this religion that I belonged to was that I, too, someday might become God, my own God, of yes, my own world. Of your own world. And even at that age, I just thought, no way, Jose. Uh, that never resonated with me. In fact, it, it, was, it felt decidedly uh, incorrect and now wrong Now, you were me. about 16 when you were learning this. Is that what you said? Yeah. And I just was certain that I had misunderstood that little doctrine. Remember, there was no internet in 1982. Yeah. And so I called it the, the, the Mormon grapevine. I just sort of heard, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to become gods. No way. There's no way that's true. And when my bishop, who was also my high school history teacher at that time, confirmed that doctrine, the, the little couplet, uh, it it, uh, it was repulsive to me, and I, I never I was never the same after that. In fact, mm -hmm. in my book, I said from that moment forward, I, I was a square pig in a round hole. Yeah. <laughs> but I played the part, and I thought, well, maybe later I'll understand, you know. Mm -hmm. And I never did. It never it never rang true to me. Okay. And then the third doctrine was this issue of polygamy. Yeah. Uh, which I think you want to talk about more tonight. Yeah, we want we want to hit on that tonight. But that really bothered you. Were you? It bo it bothered me primarily because now I we have a very anthropomorphic God. We have a human being. In my book, it's a little snarky, but I call him Larry from Des Moines, Iowa. But he was a really great guy, and he apparently was a really great Mormon. And, and so he becomes God, and then he's got lots and lots of wives. Mm -hmm. We have a very sexual God. We have a very sexualized heaven. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I credit really my original upbringing in the Baptist church, maybe some semblance of, of biblical truth that was planted in my little heart at that time as a, a little boy. But uh, none of this rang true to me. And ultimately, as a little boy anyway, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I, as I learned about polygamy, that it's a thing of the future, so to speak, I remember thinking, why on earth are mom and dad okay with this? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, that, why, I don't understand this. So you broke down these three problem doctrines yeah. that you hated to, to apologize to people. And, and never could Mormon very successfully for. do so. Uh, you broke according to how much you knew about them, according to your age level, yeah. and then you broke down your experience into three different age levels. Yes. And the first one, age level that you broke down, was between the ages of 8 to 15, which you've already talked about some yes. of that, yes. when you first heard about Mormon polygamy's history. So what did that what did that do to you when you learned yeah. I mean, wh how much do you know about polygamy when you're 8 years old Yeah well and what I did um, I, I first of all I saw pictures of polygamists from the 19th century and I think Doris because they looked so old fashioned I mean, men with the long beards and the overalls and the women in the in the long dresses and um, they they were not at all relatable to me uh, nor did I think that I would ever at any point in my little modern life in the 1970s and 80s would I ever be required to have to relate to people like that. Mm -hmm. In other words, polygamy is a, a thing of the past. Removed. It's yeah. far removed. And I, yeah. it's, it's, it's over and done with. Yeah. But, but, and then at that early age, the, the second issue was, again, why would mom and dad be okay with polygamy ever having been a part of, of, of this church. And it doesn't sound like something mom and dad would go for. And, and, and that's a very good question. Why, why would your parents go for it? Um, 
especially when they weren't raised in any, I mean, I can see it because I was born and raised in polygamy, but yeah. with someone that's not, that's foreign to them. Yes, indeed. In fact, let me, there's another layer that I, I should probably share with you. My parents have literally been inseparable since they were early uh, teenagers. They were next door neighbors. My dad literally married the girl next door. Mm. And there are pictures of them walking to school together at age 12 and 13. And I'll tell you, my, to this day, my parents are, are truly, in, the, in a true biblical sense, they are one flesh. There's no mom without dad. Yeah. There's no dad without mom. So uh, knowing my parents as I do, even at that age, I remember thinking, mm, this seems like something they would reject out of hand. And yet here we are. Mm -hmm. We're Mormon now. Mm -hmm. And Mormon and polygamy is, is part of at least our past. Now, what I didn't mm -hmm. know yet at that age was that polygamy is very much a thing of the future as well in terms of yeah. eternal life. And I, and I love that part of it. Uh, and we, we're going to get to that. You've got that in a different age level at that point. Mm -hmm. And with that at next age level, by the way, is 16 to 27 that, yeah. you, that you wrote out for me. Um, and, th and that's when you learned about the couplet by Lorenzo Snow, as mm -hmm. man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become. And that affected your pers perspective of Mormonism a great deal. Um, what? Why didn't you want to become a god? I mean, most people that I've talked to, whether they were polygamist or whether they're LDS, they like the idea of becoming a god. What? Why didn't you? Here, here's what I can tell you. The, the day that I confronted my bishop about this doctrine, and he he confirmed for me the truth of my becoming a god someday, potentially, the only way I can describe it is I felt like a mule had kicked me in the stomach. Ooh. It was so, there, there was a very almost primal, in, instinctual response on my part. I can't explain it, except to say, like anything else, you, know, you see a dead dog in the road or something, you go, oh man, you, oh, yeah. you, just don't, you just want to look at that. And this was something so repulsive to me, and I remember thinking, wow, I, I, it even surprised me. But essentially, um, and I, I, I talk about this in my book somewhat, um, Mormons tend to lack the wow factor. When I first became a Christian, I started listening to contemporary Christian music. Uh, the lyrics often say something like, uh, God, you are, so, you are so holy, you're yeah. so majestic, yeah. and I, I'm just nothing at all, but God, you are wonderful and perfect, and I, I just, I reverence your name, and there's that wow factor. Mm -hmm. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He does not change, and he's not a man. And he's not a man, he's other than us. That's yes. right, and, and, and Joseph Smith, of course, uh, he brings God down by saying that he's, he's a man, and then he lifts man up by saying, you can become a God. Yes. And that discrepancy between God and man becomes really a matter of chronology. I mean, I, I think Brigham mm -hmm. Young was teaching mm -hmm. as early as 1851 or 52 that Joseph had gone on to his realm mm -hmm. of godhood, uh, and he, had, right. he died in 1844. So I, if I'm a Mormon man in the audience there listening to Brigham Young, I, I might be tempted to think, hey, in, in seven or 15 or 20 years, I'll be God too. Wow, you know, that's and, fantastic. And, and you know what else they've done? You, you just brought, they brought God down and brought man up to equality, but they did the same thing with Jesus. Mm -hmm. They have brought Jesus down to the level of Satan's brother and mm -hmm. brought him up to be the level of yeah. being Jesus's yeah, brother. Yeah, good point. And I think the ultimate sort of result, whether they know it or not, is uh, the, how do you muster up the wow-ness of who God is? You really can't. Not if he's just a man. Yeah, uh, that's, that's right. That's just a little further down the road than, than you are. Yeah, and, and then layered on top of that is he's not only a man. He's the, the way that he uh, creates, and in this case, he procreates. That, because the next level is that I learned that God has sort of a celestial form of sexual relations. Yeah, he's this a glorified, sexualized human being, and, and that repulsed you too. It did. Which yeah. turns on a lot of 
males. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One would think that maybe that would be something that a, a young man might look forward to, but I just never did. I never, again, I credit, uh, I, I think there is, well, I know, there is a seed of truth planted in our hearts mm -hmm. from God that says, you go here, but you go no further. Notice yeah. there are a lot of different doctrines. There, there, you know, there are good Christians that disagree on a number of, of things, but but the very Not nature the of the very nature of who God is, yeah. you know, you've got to know the nature. Well, Jesus said, if you don't believe that I'm the one I claim to be, you will die in your sins, and where I go, you can't come. Yeah. So your eternal life depends upon who He is. Indeed, this is eternal life that they would know you, the one true God that they and would Jesus know Christ. You. Yeah, that's right. that's right. So we've got to know Him, and, and the Bible makes it very clear he, He's not a man. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely God very many be, times mm -hmm. He says that. Yeah. You said that the disingenuous nature of the LDS Church troubled you particularly. Their claim that polygamy is a thing of the past. Now we we basically got on that, but what's disingenuous about that? It's, it's Explain dis that. It's disingenuous because, in, in a sense, the Mormons want to distance themselves from the, well, I guess I could say the, the ugly reality of polygamy. I think most modern Americans today would say, oh, that, 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 that's kind of messed up. Yeah. Um, and so the Mormon will often say, oh, no, no listen, we're not polygamists. In fact, we excommunicate people that attempt to, to uh, engage in polygamy. That's a thing of the past. But the fact of the matter is, polygamy is very much a thing of the future. It, it is the order of things in the celestial kingdom. So doctrinally and in principle, polygamy lives on. We know that well, from the 132nd section. So unless they remove that from scripture, it, the, the, but you see the Latter-day Saint, when, when dialoguing with a non-Mormon, they're much more likely to, to just sort of try to fly under the polygamy radar and say, oh, it's a thing of the past. But mm -hmm. I, I don't like right. that. Right. It's disingenuous and I would appreciate a more frank and open well, discussion. And, and they're trying to minimize polygamy more and more and more. Oh, yeah. The mainline oh. church is, of course, the polygamists laugh at that, but... Um, they still haven't taken it out of their doctrine that polygamy will be lived again either in the millennium or in the eternal kingdom. Yeah, that's right. And, and their basic teachings of the early prophets taught that they would live polygamy in heaven. Well, and it is prerequisite for ultimately the, what they the call salvation, e e exaltation mm -hmm. and eternal lives. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's what it is in the polygamy groups as well. Um, now, if they believe the LDS doctrine... If they believe the LDS doctrine, they have to believe that they will live polygamy in heaven. So yes. why do they talk against the polygamists now? Well, I think it's just expedient. It was expedient in the late 19th century to uh, forego polygamy. It was more of a political decision. I think most people agree with that. And by today's standard, Doris, I think, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I, I think I could defend it pretty easily. And that is, it's, it's difficult to make inroads among Protestant America. I mean, for example, my parents, again, beautiful people. I love my parents with all my heart. And, and they're, they're very loving people. They're very Christ-like people. But they, they really didn't, and certainly now really don't know their Bible. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Mormon elders sort of prey upon good people in other words, they could make the transition into Mormon living. Maybe they already don't drink or smoke. My parents didn't. Mm -hmm. They're golden contacts, so mm -hmm. to speak. Right, yeah. But, but they don't know the Word of God very well. And so, therefore, anything they can do to seem more Christian, mm -hmm. oh, we're Christian, but, but a little yeah. different, yeah, yeah then, then, and, and if, uh, you know as well as I do, that, and I was a missionary, you know, uh, in Argentina, there's nothing in the missionary discussions that talks about, you know, polygamy or the history of polyandry or any of these things, yeah. because it's, it's difficult. It's meat. You see, we, we give milk. Mm -hmm. And the milk is, we believe in Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross for us, and rose again the third day. <laughs> Sounds pretty Christian to me. Yeah, and that's the way they make it sound. Of course, Christianity is certainly more than that. Now, you mentioned that, that your mother said, well, um, 
um, will work with the polygamy issue when the time comes, which will be at that time. Yeah, I remember, uh, well, first of all, I, I, I remember trying to imagine my dad, who is just, he's a man's man, and he loves my mom, and the, again, they're, they're just as close as any two people can be. Mm -hmm. uh, she still laughs at his jokes after 65 years. It blows my mind. <laughs> it's like, Mom, you, you see the punchline coming, don't you? He's told that one a few times. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Ralph as, as God. Mm. I love my dad, but yeah. that just makes me chuckle, you know. And, so and, and I'm trying to imagine my mom sharing dad with, uh, you know, Barbara and Sandy. And he'll and have to. That's right. And so does it bother her? And so I confronted my mother when I was young. I was probably 12 or 13. I go, Mom, why, why is that okay? I mean, are you comfortable with that? Well, honey, she says, um, I, I, we, we don't understand this now. But when that day comes, God will make it very clear and, and, and it'll be okay. Okay, let's yeah. I want to stop here for a minute. We always hear that answer to unanswerable mm. questions. Oh, God will make it clear to us then. We don't understand it now, but God will make it clear, and it'll make sense, and it'll be easier for us then. Mm. I hear that mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't like the idea of polygamy now, but God will make it easier for us then, and, and we'll be able to do it with joy. What's wrong with that prefabricated answer? Well, for one, it's a cop-out. Um, I, I think, you know, God's Word is quite clear. And another uh, a way that they do this is with the atonement. Well, in ways we'll never understand. Mm -hmm. Jesus died on the cross for reasons that we just, boy, it's just so hard to really articulate. And mm, it's pretty clear in it's the New Testament. It's pretty clear in the Bible. But likewise with, with this issue mm -hmm. of polygamy in heaven, uh, it, it, it allows them to, I think, circumvent difficult, uncomfortable uh, sort of doctrines and issues. And um, and um, then they can just kind of skate right around it and get back to what is comfortable, yeah. such as baking bread and taking it to your visiting teaching ladies and whatnot. And, and that's more tangible. And, yeah. and uh, I, I got the same thing when I went to the temple, uh, which was the second shoe to drop for me. The first shoe to drop was God was once a man and I get to become a God someday. And when I went to the temple, this is where we learn how to become God in a very tangible way. Mm -hmm. And that donkey kicked me in the stomach for the second wow. time and about knocked me out. Mm, Even so, nice. I went on a mission. I ended up getting married in the temple mm -hmm. because I was following right along. I didn't want to displease my parents. Mm -hmm. But the same thing was, hey, John, look, we, we, we know that this is difficult to understand. You're not, you're not even really meant to understand the endowment ceremony the first time around. But just be patient. In time, you'll, you'll come to see the beauty in it. Well, I never did see in any beauty in it. And I never came to, yeah. I understand what it is, but it was never beautiful or uh, it never rang true to me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So God gave you some discernment then. Big didn't time. He? You were 27 when you left the Mormon church. Yeah. And at that time, you rejected the idea of becoming a god, or before that, mm -hmm. and of experiencing eternal sex with multiple wives populating other planets. Did you realize that the Mormon idea of God was from Joseph Smith's own fertile imagination, and were you able to reconnect very easily with the biblical idea of God? That came many years later. Um, first of all, I went on a six or seven year um, uh, sort of worldly lifestyle of my own where I didn't want to, to me, the only God I knew was Mormon God. Mm -hmm. even though I fundamentally didn't believe in him. So I guess you could say, in a sense, I was an atheist. If the one God that I kind of was familiar with was no longer in the picture, uh, for me, I kind of work backwards, I think, now that I ha have the ability to, to look back and ponder this. I think I just wanted to be free to do whatever the heck I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I did that until finally I just missed God so terribly. Um, it wasn't until many years later that I was able to look back and realize that it, it seemed to me, knowing Joseph Smith as I, I do. You know, even uh, Richard Bushman, I mean, a very uh, dedicated Latter-day Saint, mm -hmm, as far as I know, mm -hmm. and patriarch of the church. His book, Rough Stone Rolling, really paints Joseph Smith as a very flawed human being. Yeah. And it seems to me that, that Joseph had a penchant for women. He even confessed that when he sees a beautiful woman, he's, he's defenseless. Yes, I've read that. I can relate mm -hmm. to that. There was a time where I was pretty defenseless myself. I just didn't claim to be a prophet. 
but it, it seems to me that this construct of a highly sexual God worked very nicely, working backwards from his own uh, sort of um, oh. sexual preoccupations and whatnot. And I know that's very offensive to the devout Mormon that just loves Joseph Smith, but it's pretty clear when, well, you, when you look at the facts. It, it's, it's historical truth. And, and there are a few verses in the Bible that allude to the fact that we become like the God we serve. Mm. And, and so I wonder if um, Joseph Smith if, if, and Brigham Young and all that, this, this is what they like, this is what they want. So God must be this way too. Yeah. And I think it's human nature. I, I, I've, now that you say it that way, I look back at my own life. I go, hmm, I think I was justifying my own selfish yeah. desires. Yeah, without yeah. the use of the Bible to back up anything, any idea you have about God. Well, I, well, I would take it one step further. I, I didn't want to peek at the Bible for fear that it would condemn who I really, truth, I, I, yeah. I felt like that's exactly what I was doing. And, and when I really truly came to, to just receive Jesus in my life, the Bible came alive to me and I go, oh man. I'm a really bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> but at least now I, I had the ability to say, I don't want to be a bad guy well, anymore. That, and, and that's, that's repentance. what the Bible does. It makes you look in the mirror of yeah. yourself, and then <laughs> if you're wise, you're going to turn to God to do yeah. the cleansing. Interestingly, the closer we get to Jesus, the worse we look. Uh-huh. I am more dissatisfied now with myself than I have ever been in my Absolutely. life. Absolutely. And yet I feel more secure and more loved by God than ever. Because I realize it's not about me proving my worthiness to Heavenly Father. I prove my unworthiness every day of my life. Mm -hmm. We do. Absolutely do. So the concept and practice of polygamy was one of the primary deciding factors for you to leave Mormonism? Because it's so intricately linked to God was once a man and now, um, and I get to become a God. And part of that Godness is uh, the idea of polygamy. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can't really separate the two. Yeah, that was definitely one of the top three and probably, probably number one, certainly. D does each member deserve in the, of the LDS church and of the polygamy groups, because there's many in polygamy who do not know the true nature and teachings of early polygamy, like Joseph Smith and his polyandry. Mm -hmm. does, it, does each member deserve to know the truth of their history and understand it rather than it be hidden from? Do, do the, the leaders of these groups and of the church, mm -hmm. do they, do, should they know their members deserve to hear the truth rather than hiding it from them? A absolutely. And whether the leaders of the LDS church or uh, want this to happen or not, it, it, it is happening. Uh, there's really nothing now to stem the tide of um, free-flowing information on the internet. Mm -hmm. I know there are those yeah. that would say, especially old-timers, oh, you can't trust everything on the internet. Well, I agree with that. Absolutely, you cannot. But, but we have journal entries. I mean, yes. I, I, I thank God yes. for the fact that the early Mormons, they were so industrious and so hardworking, and they were excellent record keepers. Mm -hmm. And I just am so thankful for that. Yes. Because ultimately, um, I mean, you, for example, uh, as a prime example, for many, many years, of course, it's Joseph Smith translating golden plates with the Urim and Thummim mm -hmm. uh, from Reformed Egyptian into English. And all the artwork is depicted as Joseph doing it. But uh, in Joseph Smith's own journal, in, in Emma's journal, and I think David Whitmer's journal, Oliver Couch's, it's Joseph looking at a little rock in a hat. In his hat. And for 175 years, the church says, how dare you insinuate that our prophet is looking at a rock in a hat? Mm -hmm. Now it is so crystal clear um, that that is, in fact, what, what, what the historical record shows, that even the LDS church has to say, okay, okay, okay. Okay, he did. So, yeah. so he looked at a rock in a hat, nothing to see here. Well, um, I think an apology is in order for the, the awful names that they called some of these excellent historians like Grant Palmer and mm -hmm. like D, uh, Mike Quinn uh, that called it what it is. Yes. Yeah, uh, at least say we're sorry or yeah. what have you. Yeah. And, and, and then the question becomes, would my parents, for example, have become Latter-day Saints in 1973-74 had they known this, 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 and this. Well, um, and, it, and it goes with Joseph Smith's uh, 33 wives 
uh, plural yeah. wives, yeah. his marrying 11 women who were already married. They never admitted that until just recently. Just recently, yeah, that's that right. They admitted, and all the years before that, there's not an apology that they called everybody liar who yeah. accused Joseph Smith. Of and on one hand, I don't want to get greedy. Uh, oh, gee, I really want an apology from the LDS Church. But on the other no. hand, I, I'm gr I'm grateful that they are at least acknowledging it because if nothing else, there there are. Uh, all these, you know, presumably millions of people in the future that now equipped with that, if they can get a hold of that information, they can make a, a more informed decision, which I think answers Absolutely, your question. Absolutely, you betcha. And if someone still wants to join the Mormons, okay, so, okay. So what did you think when you learned of Joseph Smith's polyandry? Well, oh, I was totally I blown mean, away. Was that but like by the this time, I was coffee? well removed from Mormonism. In fact, I know more now uh, about Mormon history and Joseph Smith than I ever did when oh, I was well, Latter-day Saint. Yeah, that's what, what I, I, uh, I spent three or four years just reading. I didn't even know why I was reading. I think God was preparing me to be able to have intelligent dialogue with mm -hmm. wonderful people like yourself about Mormonism. I, I, I had heard, I had heard that, that uh, polygamy started, of course, with Brigham Young in, in Utah, mm -hmm. and that um, Indians had killed off so many of the men that there was a preponderance of women. The ratio was so skewed, yeah. it was really a necessity. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you later. What, which, oh. are, which of the myths did you hear and believe? That, that was that one. I thought, well, that makes sense. I know they had it pretty rough. I, I, I would have probably been shot by an Indian myself, you know, if I was <laughs> trying to cross the plate. Um, but the other, the, 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 the foundational sort of explanation I had received, and made enough sense to me was, um, for reasons we don't fully understand, God reinstituted polygamy among the Latter-day Saints yeah. uh, in America in the, in the 19th don't century. Understand. That's right. And just like he did in the old days with David and Solomon and Abraham. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is God uh, in this new and last dispensation uh, back to his old ways. And, yeah. and that's just the way it is. Yeah. Now, why did God? Well, we don't know. We don't know. And Between don't that and the, the Indians, answer. that's the deal. Okay, well, we, we are halfway through the show. Already? And yeah, already. <laughs> we, it, it goes fast. And we want to thank our guest, John Wallace, for being here. We do have a mid-show break, and then we'll open up the telephone lines so that you can give us a call and enter in the discussion. Uh, you can call in, ask our guest a question, or make your comments, uh, what, uh, whatever might interest you or whatever questions you might have as a result of our conversation. We're, we will also... Um, We'd also have more to talk about, but right now we want to uh, use this mid-show break time to talk about the sale of uh, this station, TV20, which we've been talking about now for the past few weeks. And as we approach our uh, on the air, the end of our on the air broadcasting with TV20, we're gearing up and are gearing up full speed ahead now on internet only broadcasting. Now, fortunately, for those who want to continue to watch our show, VIA your television set, there, there's a great ability for you to set this up so that that can happen. There are lots of inexpensive devices that you can easily, that you can get to easily stream your internet video onto your television as long as you have an adequate internet connection to your, uh, in your home and also Wi-Fi. Now, almost any device that can stream YouTube or Vimeo to your television will enable you to watch our programming on your television set. And this includes a lot of, of new Wi-Fi ready Blu-ray players, gaming devices, and so on. There are also inexpensive options like Chromecast and Amazon Fire, but the one that we are most enthusiastic about is the Roku player. It's R-O-K-U. And we are creating a dedicated channel, especially, specifically for Polygamy, What Love Is This? And also for um, Earl Erskine's show, 
the ex-Mormon files if you're a fan of that program too. The interface is easy and once the channel is on your system you don't have to do a lot of searching to find what you want. It'll let you watch our most recent uh, shows as soon as they're released which we will be releasing a new show weekly and like the other devices you can get pretty cheaply in any store that sells electronics like Walmart, Target, Shopco, Costco, um, Amazon.com, you can get Roku from there as well. So we're working on a Roku channel, like I said, for the ex-Mormon files, and you'll be able to watch both of our programs on the internet doing that. So don't get discouraged because you can't watch it on your television set. You can make it work. And if you don't know how to do that, you can get a son or son-in-law or, or <laughs> somebody young. to come and, and fix it up for you. Um, so uh, we're open the telephone lines. Our number is 801 973-8820. Give us a call. We would love to have you call and enter into the conversation we're having tonight with John Wallace. He's written the book, Starting at the Finish Line. The finish line is when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Yes, he did. And it is finished, right? Correct. And he's referring, of course, to the, the, the finishing or the, the consummation of, of the work for our salvation. He did it all. He did it all. And, th and that's why, although it is counterintuitive, uh, when we see, there's nothing wrong. I, I, I always get into this conversation with my Mormon friends. It's wonderful to not drink alcohol or to smoke cigarettes or mm -hmm. uh, to act a fool or to be unfaithful to your spouse. All, all these areas of obedience are wonderful. They're very God-honoring. It's good to obey God. Mm -hmm. uh, however, uh, we obey God out of out of from the vantage point of having been saved, it's out of gratitude to God. He fills us with His Holy Spirit, so we, just, we even want to obey we God. We want to. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> when we say that we're saved by grace and not by works, what we're saying is we're saved by God's grace through faith, and that starts us on the path of our Christian walk where we, we are free to obey God and empowered to obey God. But it's not the other way around. The Latter-day Saints would have us believe through the third article of faith, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. Mm -hmm comma, by obedience to the laws right. and of the gospel. We've and got to obey God in order to be saved. And the polygamists use the same articles of faith as the LDS do. Mm -hmm. They believe exactly the same thing. Sure. And of course, their works are, you have to live polygamy, you have to marry the person we choose for you to marry, you have to have lots and lots of kids, you have to stay a member in the group, you have to give us all your money into mm -hmm. the United Order yeah. and, and how that works. So. Both groups, whether it's LDS or polygamy, have their own set of rules that you have to obey, although they may be yeah. different rules, they're still basically the same. You obey our church rules. Yeah, that's right. Well, then, then, then we run into the issue of sin. You know, when you look at, I'm very intrigued by a fairly recent, uh, I guess, uh, post or commentary, official doctrine on LDS.org under the topic of salvation. And I'm paraphrasing because I haven't memorized mm -hmm. it, although it is in my book. I guess I could read it. But basically what it says is that, you know, when Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that, that produces a conditional salvation. In other words, your salvation is conditioned upon not only your, your uh, acknowledgement of Jesus as the Son of God dying on the cross for your sins, but also... It's predicated on your ability to obey God in all these areas. Yeah. And, and, and what, what really, um, I guess, frustrates me more than anything is, is at the very ending it says, you can't just say, I believe in Jesus and be saved with the understanding that you will continue to commit sins throughout the rest of your life. Now, there's a change. And that it's inevitable, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah. okay, so then mm -hmm. all I have to do is just never commit another sin? 
Uh, and really, that's what it amounts to. Mm. And it says, oh, I know what it says, Doris. It says, Jesus will not, will not save you in your sins. He will save you from your sins. Which is really, uh, I think it resonates with Moroni chapter 10, where Moroni says, if you cleanse yourself and remove all forms of ungodliness, then, then, then the, the, the blood of Jesus will be applied to you. It's, an, it's a, the classic if-then argument. But, but uh, the, the problem with that is, if I somehow, and I don't know how I could, but if I were just the most amazing guy ever, and I do, in fact, remove uh, all ungodliness from myself, well, then what would be left is godliness. And if I am totally godly, then you don't need Jesus. Yeah, what, what would I need His blood yeah. for? Extra credit? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and I like to say, before you take a, a, a shower, do you take a bath and clean up first? Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is when we become Christians. We don't clean up first. It's God who cleans us up. Yeah, that's right. We come to Him just as we are. Yeah, we sure do. And He does a cleaning up if we come to Him by faith. Well, looks like we've got a lot of people who want to talk to yeah. you. So we better answer some phone calls. We have line one, David in Kaysville. Hello, David. David? Hey. Yes, you're on the air, David. Yes. I had a question about Joseph being a prophet. So the prophets exist in Israel and prophesy out of Jerusalem to the Jews. So why would a prophet be a prophesying in America if that was the case? That's a good question. I love your question. Do you have an answer? Yes, there most certainly were prophets in Israel, in the house of Israel, Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Prophets uh, had a very special role. Let, let's take Moses, for example, a mouthpiece of God. God spoke to the children mm -hmm. of Israel through Moses and gave the law through him. So they played a very critical role. Hebrews chapter 1, uh, the, the author of Hebrews says, uh, in times past, mm -hmm. God spoke to his children right, in, in, in various ways and various times through the prophets. But in these last days, referring to the, the meridian of time, the coming mm -hmm. of Jesus, he has spoken to us through his son. And so to answer his question, there isn't prophets today in yeah. America like Joseph Smith. Yeah, that's right. J Jesus really is the consummation of that, uh, the, or even the need for, for prophecy. Right. And when you really think about it, you have all these amazing prophecies from the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. But then you've got prophecies in the New Testament that are coming to pass. Mm -hmm. uh, you look at uh, right. the, what's going on in the Middle East today. Now, we, we uh, in response partly, David, uh, we, we still believe in the spirit of prophecy. There is a spirit of prophecy, but not necessarily a prophet not over prophet. a certain organization. Not the yeah. prophet. Okay, yeah. David, did that answer your question? Yeah, it did. I'm, I've studied Mormon quite extensively. I'm a Baptist up here, a little faith Baptist church, and uh, mm -hmm. so I've studied Mormonism now for about 35 years up there in Utah, but it's just always bugged me that people don't bring up some yeah. Mormons that yeah. more that there's no prophecies. No yeah, Jesus said that John the Baptist was the final prophet, and Hebrews 1.1 1, 1, that, that um, our guest quoted is, there's no more prophets but Jesus himself. Okay, well. Thank you, David, just, for calling. I, just, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. I just want to say so. so. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thanks, Thanks for David. calling. Okay, we have line two, Carol and Sandy. Hello, Carol. Hi. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I'm... Uh, chiming in with uh, your guest here because uh, I'm an ex-Mormon and when I uh, wrote my letter to my bishop having my uh, my resignation then he came over to my house and it was right after it was about a year after my husband died and uh, I said well I really wanted to investigate the historical doctrine of polygamy because it was a second marriage for both of us 
and uh, my husband stayed married to his sealed to his first wife because she was mentally ill and she left him and uh, so anyway I got thinking about this she drove him crazy she wasn't a good wife and I'm I'm, I'm in this too but uh, I was a caregiver for 12 years for our marriage I asked the bishop this question it doesn't seem fair and he says oh no he'll treat her with respect but you're you're his wife Mm-hmm. But but in the when they when when everybody's dead and in into the Mormon heaven though he will have both wives right is that that's correct? right well and this also speaks to what we were referring to earlier that yeah. that Latter Day Saints often want to say oh polygamy is a thing of the past yeah but this is another example of how it very much is a thing of the present that's exactly Men be, right even general authorities being sealed to various women that's right that so it is to. it is of the present Indeed. and definitely of the future. That's right, Carol. Well, that's why I researched the historical doctrine of the church, because I wanted to understand my position with my late mm-hmm. husband. Uh-huh. Sure. Okay. Uh, that's good. Research is good. <laughs> that's what we want all our viewers to do, is research this out. Well, thanks for calling, Carol. Appreciate your input. Yes. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Goodbye. Okay, we have on line three, Paul in Kearns. Hello, Paul. Hi, Doris. Hi, John. Hi, Paul. Hey, uh, I, I wanted to, to speak a little bit about uh, Joseph Smith and his face in the hat looking at a rock. Uh, the reason he did that, I think, was just to, to hide his smirks. Uh, <laughs> we, we know that he didn't translate the Book of Mormon that way be, because there's uh, some 12,000 takings from the Bible. There's there's takings uh, from the Masons. There's, there's takings from... Uh, the book on the Hebrews. What what was the name of that book? I don't know. View of the Hebrews. View of the Hebrews. Ethan Smith. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, there, there's a, a, a Solomon Spalding's book was was used a lot in in the thing, and, and it was taken everywhere. There's there's very little of anything that uh, that uh, that Joseph Smith ever translated. I don't think he translated anything, and I don't think he saw any of those yeah. personages yeah. that he claimed to. Oh. I think the whole thing is a great big. Uh, well, the, the Book of Mormon has been proven to be a spurious document. Is that there's the proof has just already been put in place. Yeah, well, so there I, was no translating. <laughs> I, to, to me, it's just a, a total fraud, yeah. and that's what I want to say. Thank you, Paul. And, and I thank you very much. Thank you for calling. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye now. Bye. I think it's remarkable that <clears throat> the, the devout Latter-day Saint is so willing to accept the Book of Mormon as the most perfect book in the world, um, the, the the keystone of their religion, of their religion. with absolutely no uh, supportive evidence at all, right. archaeological, inscriptional. There, there is not one shred of evidence as to its right. historicity. And yet they um, are unwilling to accept the Bible as being an authentic document, although we have, as we talked about in, our, in another segment, so a tremendous, a mountain of evidence. Right. Uh, the, the, even now, I mean, I, I've received the uh, 
the biblical uh, BAR uh, Bible archaeological uh, review, uh -huh. and every month there are dozens of discoveries in and around Jerusalem and all throughout uh, the Middle and East. And a lot of those discoveries will go to the Bible to authenticate yeah. or even to help them understand where Good this point. is coming from. But no institution ever goes to the Book of Mormon to authenticate anything. Yeah, yeah, it's troublesome, and and it's just I marvel, I marvel yeah. at that, and and th there must be a, a spirit of Deception and, uh, a and yeah, a blindness, blindness yeah, a, a willing sort of blindness, yeah. What do you think about the person who hears all these about Joseph Smith, and and we do get this frequently as a result of our show. Well, whatever the prophet does is right. Yeah. And and we think about this with polyandry, marrying two fourteen-year-old, marrying two sixteen-year-old girls. He's double, more than double their ages. But whatever the prophet does is right. Yeah, I've always said that if you can work backwards from Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter what the doctrine is. And then the idea of continuing revelation opens the door wide open to whatever doctrinal changes might occur. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah and yeah. it's, uh, and how exactly do you, I, I hate to use the word argue, but how do you get very deep in, in dialoguing with the Latter-day Saint that is convinced, absolutely convinced that Joseph Smith was and is a prophet of God? I, I've never had uh, a whole lot of success in any kind of reasonable uh, discussion. I will no. say this, it is a t when you're a devout Mormon, it is a terrifying prospect to say, oh, maybe this isn't true. You, you almost just, sh I, I remember yeah. for years I did yeah. that very thing. Where would I go? Mm -hmm. what, what, who am I it if Mormonism fearful. isn't true? Yeah. It is very oh, it's a dreadful time Absolutely. for me in my life. And I love the verse in 1 John. God is love and perfect love casts out fear. Yeah. There is no fear in love. And That's yet right. to even think about leaving polygamy group, a Mormon, uh, the Mormon church, there's fear, a yeah. great deal of fear. Because fear involves Punishment. punishment. And, and, and that's and what they are. That's right. But yeah. Jesus took our punishment. Right. That's why, for as knuckleheaded as I am, I can feel at peace. How do you fake peace? You yeah. can't. Yeah, uh-uh. I am no. at peace. No, absolutely. Okay, we have another call here, line one, Mike calling in Salt Lake. Hello, Mike. Yes, ma'am. I'm calling in. Uh, sorry that I heard about you uh, probably going off the air. But I was just thinking to myself, I'm an ex-Mormon, uh, I've been around Mormons all my life, I grew up in Utah, and your, your show says, what love is this? And this is really bothers me more than anything else, is that when these people leave the church, they shun them. Mm -hmm. They take away their jobs sometimes, they take what away love their is this? Yeah. communication with their families, they do all this stuff for intimidation, they accuse them, uh, and uh, they judge them, and that is not the work of God. God doesn't... You know, he wants us to love one another. Well, didn't Jesus said to love your enemies and to pray yes. for them? He didn't say to shun them. That's right, and that's exactly what love is that, that they would have. I, I see my nephew, I see my grandchildren like Jesse and Robin and Michael uh, playing outside, and I could never imagine if they were having life problems with maybe addictions or stuff, that I would run away from them yeah. in that kind of need. I mean, that is ridiculous. If you really love somebody, you're not going to do that. And God said, if you, you know, Lord said, if you love mother, father, sister, brother more than me, you're not worthy of me. Well, it's a conditional you know, and, love. Uh, that's, that's and it's going to cause a division. Yeah. Because he said he's going to come with a sword and was going to put father against son, mother against daughter, and all this other stuff. That's what it is. And that's what happens. You that's know, right. the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. These people deal with, or cults, they deal with fear. 
And God said, I didn't give you a spirit of fear, but a power yeah, of love. And that's what we just were talking yeah, about. Right. And, and we, we can't fake the, the joy. We can't fake no. that deep peace no. that we oh. have in God. So, well, thank you, Mike. And we appreciate your calling. Thank you very much. And God bless you on your ventures. And maybe I can see you on the internet again. Well, we certainly hope And so. God has really used you, and I really appreciate you. And I thank you, well, we thank you uh, for, the opportunity. for your program. And I thank you for your outreach and your witness for thank you. the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, your... Well, it's a, it's a privilege to serve God. A very great privilege. Thank you, Mike, for calling and for your comments. His, his call reminds me of what the early Jews that converted to Christianity were dealing with in, in and around Jerusalem. To receive Jesus as Messiah means you're kicked out of the synagogue. Yeah, which absolutely. is more Which is more than just, oh, I, I can't go to mm -hmm. church on Sunday. John chapter 9. Yeah, it, it's you're you're out of the loop, uh, commercially speaking, mm -hmm. uh, socially. You're you are shunned, you're almost like a leper. Yeah, I've never lived except for my four years at BYU. But living in Southern California, I've never lived in an environment that's so highly concentrated with Latter Day Saints that I ever suffered any kind of you know yeah, well, uh, shunning yeah, you, you, you or you wouldn't so much down there. But I do hear that, and 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 some of my very best friends who are Mormon. And they go to church, they pay tithing, and they go to the temple, but they don't actually believe in the central tenets of mm -hmm. Mormonism. Mm -hmm. But they just can't leave because, A, they can't break their wife's heart. For all I know, their wives also don't believe, but they're afraid to and confess they're afraid to, to talk about it. And it just kills me because I, I know that they're living lives, uh, well, uh, much like I used to live. I was living a lie. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, bless their hearts, I love these guys, and I just... Um, I'm so sorry that it, it is such a terrifying thing for them and, to walk and away. And it's the same thing in the polygamy group too. When you oh. leave the polygamy group, you're shunned. I, I bet. mean, they, they they threaten you. If you if you leave, you'll never see your kids again. You'll never yeah. see your that's brothers right. and sisters again. You'll never see your family again. And that's not an idle threat, is it? No. no. Oh, absolutely. And, and not. not to mention, you don't really know what's on the other side of that wall, do you? Not in a polygamy terrifying. group because because you are raised in pretty much you know away from regular society. Sure. I want to share an email we received from. A former polygamous wife kind of goes in with a conversation we've been having. She said, my husband and I were involved in polygamy for 17 years. The pain and depression that I experienced was almost more than I could bear. To me, death would have been preferable. Mm. However, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, wasn't Working he? Backwards. But my heart just wasn't converted to this polygamy. For 17 years, I just kept putting things on the shelf, and finally the shelf fell down. The final straw was when I learned about Joseph Smith taking the wives of married men and these women living with two men at once. This is a sensitive question I want to ask you, very sensitive. Why is a woman living with more than one man any different than a man living with more than one yeah. woman? I mean, it makes people sick to think of a woman having two husbands. Yeah. It doesn't make anybody sick for a man yeah. to have two isn't, wives. Isn't that what, interesting? what is the maybe, difference? Maybe it's the historical, or I mean, there, there are still cultures today in Africa, for example, parts of Central America, where, although it's not smiled upon, it's one man and many women, or the machismo of, uh, in Mexico, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's something about that. I, I don't have a very good response for you, except to say that it isn't any different. It, it, yeah. not, not morally, it's yeah. certainly not spiritually, there really isn't any difference either. Okay, we have still some calls coming in. We have line three, Marlene from Salt Lake City. Hello, Marlene. Hello. Hello, you're on the air. Pardon me, I can't hardly hear you. Hmm? Can't hardly hear you. I can't hardly hear you. You need to turn your television volume down. Yes, that's, yeah, you told me. What is your question? Uh, well, no question, a commentary. 
the I feel so sad the Mormons, ex Mormons, go and talk about that about the church. I'm a Mormon and I was married fifty six years with just my husband and I and that is the way it is here. There is a group who they call in Mormon but they have uh, they have more wives, but it's not a church that uh, the LDS. And uh, I asked, I do have a testimony, the church, the Mormon church. Okay, uh, Marlene, we're not here to hear your testimony of the LDS church, uh, so we will uh, ask you to go on or we'll take the next call. Well, I would like to take a... Okay, uh, thank you for calling, oh, okay, Marlene. We appreciate that. I, I really didn't understand. I got most it, of it, yeah. Did you? Uh, basically, uh, it, she doesn't appreciate an ex-Mormon like myself or, or like you then now talking bad about the church and, and, and uh, focusing on something in the past, which is polygamy. But oh. what I think we've pointed out is it's past, present, and it's future. Past, present, and I was born and raised in a polygamy group, and that's yeah. the present, so yeah. we can't and talk I, about And Marlene, it. I, I will share with you, I have tremendous love and appreciation, not only for my Mormon people, my whole world is still very Mormon, but also uh, for my Mormon upbringing. Um, so it's, it's out of love, and uh, I, I, you know what it's like, Marlene? It's like when you see a really great movie. My favorite movie is Forrest Gump, and for weeks thereafter, it's all I could talk about. And I would ask all my patients, hey, have you seen Forrest Gump? you got to go see Forrest Gump, <laughs> because I enjoyed it so much, I wanted other people to enjoy it. And so when you come out of a religion such as Mormonism, or any religion that's rigorous and, and sort of legalistic, into the freedom and the joy and the profound peace of knowing that you are, rece that, that you are in Christ, that you are a follower of Jesus, you can't not talk about it. Yeah. And I get that all the time. Why, well, why do you pick on Mormons? To, yeah. We're told to talk about yeah, it. Got to. We're told to renounce the doctrines that we and to expose them. Yeah. We're told to go into all the world and, and tell the truth. Yeah. So not talking about it is the sin. Not talking no about doubt. it. No doubt. In my book, 99% of it, and those of you that have read it, you'll attest to this. You've read it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's Jesus on the cross dying for our sins and we're saved by God's grace. It's, it's the gospel according to the New Testament. Right. 1% bounces a little bit off of Mormonism, and yet my LDS critics say, why are you bashing on Mormons? I go, yeah, <laughs> yeah. what did you need it to be 99.9 yeah. .9 to point .1? And you know, and really, we, uh, we say this in every show, we're not bashing on Mormons or polygamists. Mm. We love them, but we don't like the false doctrine. We don't like to see people being led down the primrose path. You're being told you're finding the way into heaven, yeah. when really you're not. And we want you to find that right way, and we ask you to check it out. Yeah. Check out And Jesus says, said. I am the way. So Jesus yeah. is the way. We're uh -huh. Jesus followers. That's and, all we and, are. And on the cross, you mentioned in your book, Jesus Christ on the cross is our salvation. Yeah. Yeah. It is our salvation. Yeah. It seems too good to be true. And I think some people will overlook it. Even Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, I fear for you, the Corinthians, that like, like Eve was deceived by the serpent, that, that your minds would be distracted and perverted from the simplicity, simplicity of, that Jesus. It, uh, of Jesus. Yes. It's Jesus. Absolute simplicity. Paul says, I, I, from now on, I will say nothing. I will speak nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, thank you, John, for coming and sharing. Uh, we didn't get through everything, but we got through enough. Yeah. And, and knowing that polygamy was a big part of why you left the LDS faith yeah. and, and that man can become a god, and both of them, of course, are 
not true, not yeah. biblical. And I want to thank our, our uh, viewers for watching and our callers for calling in tonight. We do appreciate it as I, we'll only have a few more live shows that we can do this, so we do appreciate all of our participants. You know, our greatest desire is to know that our viewers understand that there is no religious work that we can do for ourselves that will put us in favor with God. God's favor rests on the one whose faith rests on Jesus Christ alone. Nothing and no one else and no church can possibly be included in that faith and trust. Since it was Jesus who paid for our sins on the cross, our trust therefore must be on Him and not on polygamy or anything else. Many of our viewers keep insisting that because of his death on the cross, everyone in the world, no matter who they are and no matter what they've done, will be saved. That simply is not true. Those who reject Jesus, and there are many who reject him, will not be saved. And those who rely on any kind of works or religious duties and laws and ordinances, polygamy, the United Order, cannot receive eternal life that God offers as a free gift. If you want to get to heaven by your own good works, then you must realize that they must be perfect works and you can never, ever, ever make any mistakes or errors. And if you do, your good works is over. That's why God made salvation a free gift. Because simply put, no one can be good enough to earn it. You cannot mix grace and works together. Your works must be perfect or you need to fall on 100% God's grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Choosing any other way is choosing the wrong way and you'll find yourself in a place you don't want to be and you'll never be able to get out of. So choose the only way and that way is not membership in the church, but it is in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. Thanks for watching and good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of the Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.